Good morning. How are you? Good. <laughs> I know it's still it's still early. You're a little sleepy. Good to see you though. I'm glad that you're here. Good to have you with us. Uh, I have a number of things in my life, and I'm fairly certain most of you do too, that I have to think about periodically, things that I have to uh, renew, right? Um, I have an insurance policy that if I want to continue to be recovered, uh, recovered, covered (laughs) by this insurance, you know, periodically I'm going to get a notice that says, well, it's time to renew your insurance policy, right? You have that? A lot of you have that, right? There are subscriptions. Uh, If I want to continue to receive that subscription, periodically you get a renewal notice, right? Uh, There are things uh, that that I have to, uh, if I want to keep driving my car, there are a couple of things that come up throughout the year. There's those tabs on the back of your car, right? Comes up, it's time. You want to continue to drive your car legally? you got to renew this. You've got to go through this process. And then my driver's license. If I want to continue to use that license and be a, a legal driver in the state of Washington, uh, frankly, anywhere in the country, I need to renew that driver's license. Now, of those things, some of them happen kind of automatically, right? In fact, anymore, a lot of them happen automatically. <laughs> so much so, Many of you have probably seen that there is a service that has been advertised a lot uh, where part of what they do is they find subscriptions that maybe you didn't even remember, right? Any of you have those? (laughs) Where you you realize, I have been paying for this thing monthly for a long time and I never use it and I didn't really want it. And I, you know, we've got a lot of things that happen kind of automatically where we're just automatically renewed. But there are other things where that's not the case. When my driver's license renewal form comes, I need to take some action on that. I need to go to the office and have that taken care of. Now, a lot of that I can do online now, but I still, I have to go and take care of that. Uh, The tabs are the same way. In fact, uh, this last year, we were reminded of that when our daughter Lauren was driving home from college in, in her car, and Deborah had flown out there to drive with her, I got a text message one day that said, hey, did you ever renew the tabs on Lauren's car? And I said, well, I think so. But what I was remembering was actually the year prior. And so what we discovered was that she was driving expired uh, tabs and drove all the way across the country with expired tabs. And in fact, had been driving in Michigan for a couple months with expired tabs Oops. (laughs) Oops. <laughs> and so now I stand here before all of you and confess. Uh, we drove a car illegally for some time uh, before getting that taken care of. You know, some of these, you, you have to, if I get pulled over and I haven't taken care of some of those things, I can't just say, well, I mean, I was going to renew it. I just forgot. Or I, I decided I was too busy. Or, I mean, I could say any of those things. It's not going to prevent me from getting written up with a ticket, right? There's some of those things we just have to stop and renew if we want them to continue to be in effect. I want you to think of that as you grab your Bibles and turn back to Joshua chapter 8. I say back to because we were in Joshua chapter 8 last week, but we didn't finish the chapter. There's a little bit hanging on there. 
and I just kind of barely got into it because I, it certainly has ties to the prior passage. And, and the prior passage, the rest of chapter 8, just to remind you, is the defeat of the city of Ai. And of course, this is the second time that the Israelites have gone up against Ai because the first time they went up against Ai, someone in their midst, this guy named Achan, had sinned, had very clearly disobeyed God's very specific commands with regard to Jericho. He kept some of the stuff he wasn't supposed to keep and tried to hide it. And so they had a really rough go of it the first time they went to Ai. They got a little arrogant. There's probably some hubris involved. And they said, well, you know, Jericho went so smoothly. Ai seems like a smaller place. Let's just send, you know, a couple thousand guys. This will be no problem. And God said, I beg your pardon. It will be a problem because you have some, <laughs> some sin in your midst, right? So they take care of that. They address that. And then they go back up against Ai. And this time, God is with them. This time, it goes very well. They defeat the city of Ai. And we talked about that recovering from that failure, their first go against AI was a clear failure on their part. And how do you recover from that? But part of what they did, part of what we see at the very end of that is they defeat this city and then immediately the text says that they go and they make an altar. And I want to pick up that thread. And so even though they, they recover from that failure, they're also quick to say, well, we didn't just recover from failure. This isn't about us doing better. We're fully prepared to give God glory for what happened at Ai. And we see in verse 30, at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. I didn't bother putting a map up for you. For those of you that love maps, I, I apologize. But just take my word for this. Mount Ebal, this place, is about 30 miles away from the city of Ai. Okay? So when he says, at that time, Joshua built this altar, that means something. What we might think if we just sort of read over this too quickly is, oh, they defeated Ai, and then right out front on their front porch, he built this altar. No. They went 30 miles away. They went 30 miles away without cars, right? <laughs> Deborah and I have been seeing a lot of doctors. Well, Deborah's been seeing doctors. I just go with. But one of them is, is kind of downtown, it's like 10 miles away. And in an automobile, sometimes I'm like, oh, this just feels so far, you know? <laughs> they went 30 miles with no cars. It was fascinating. Uh, somebody did a case study of this even. I, I think this was back in the 1950s where they loaded up some donkeys and kind of made this approximate trip. And they said, yeah, it, it can easily be done. You can do it in two days on donkey. Well, can be done doesn't mean maybe that I would want to do it, but you know, Different culture, different times. They were far more accustomed to this sort of travel than you and I would be. This would probably would have taken about two days, especially because I think what we're going to see is this doesn't seem to be just the fighting people. It certainly isn't only Joshua. It seems to be the entire, well, not seems to be, it is. The entire nation of Israel picks up and goes. Now, can we stop for just a minute and just be honest about something? 
from a military strategy standpoint. Remember, they're in the midst of a conquest here. And what they've done thus far, and again, I I say this carefully. I I hope you'll understand. God is guiding and directing this. We, We get that. But what's happened thus far is really brilliant. They have now divided this place into two. They've cut right across the middle, and they have divided uh, uh, into the remaining land that they're supposed to. And what we're going to see is they're going to have a southern campaign now, and then a northern campaign. But when they do that, they've sort of isolated those two chunks of land from each other to cut off supply routes and reinforcement routes. And it's, it's great. But then they stop in the middle of this military campaign and take a 30-mile trip on what seems to be kind of a religious pilgrimage. Strictly from a military standpoint, this doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense. And there are some critics who will say, well, this was, it probably didn't really happen then. This, this was probably inserted later, or it got put into the wrong spot. I, I don't think so. Manuscript evidence says otherwise. I think God's word says, at that time. Yes? <laughs> it happened then. They start this great military campaign. They've gotten the car back on the rails here. Everything is going well. And then they go take this 30-mile trip on foot and on donkeys to go do this thing. Well, there's a good reason for it. There's a good reason for it. For one, verse 31 tells us, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. Uh, We haven't read this together. We didn't see this in its context, because at the time it wasn't really germane to our study of Joshua. But it is now. So to take a look at this, if you want to turn back to Deuteronomy, it's the prior book, Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27. When we hear about the the books of Moses, that's the, the Pentateuch fancy word there, right? Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is the final part of these books of Moses. And Deuteronomy, just to remind you, this is in large part Moses' recitation for the people of the law. They were given the law back at Mount Sinai, but that's been some 40 years ago. Probably closer to 38 years ago to when they're here in Deuteronomy. But they're here about ready to to cross the River Jordan. And Moses, before he dies, says, all right, we're going to go through the law again. Deuteronomy, that word literally means second law. And so Moses has been reciting this law. But in chapter 27, we see this. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. This is where we see this command, this original instruction. Now, it says, some of you may have noticed, on the day that you cross over. So it might lead some of you to say, well, does this mean they've been disobedient up to this point that on the very day? A lot of scholars have said it, it didn't mean on that exact day, but just you know when you enter this promised land. And so they've entered... They've conquered the first couple of cities. And interestingly, this locale that they're talking about, this Mount Ebal, is right smack kind of in the middle of this whole land, which I think is significant. And so here's where they're told. And, and they're told in part to write the entire law on these stones. There's been a lot of debate about this. Does it really mean the whole law all of the Mosaic law, or does it really just mean the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, those, those ten words, you know? And many have said it's got to just be the Ten Commandments because it's too much to, well, again, different culture. If, if I had to sit down and write out this much on a rock, I mean, my hand would get really tired really quickly. But I, you know, I want to remind you, this was a lot more customary for them Lots of, not just in Jewish culture, all of the cultures of this region, lots of stones have been found with very, very long inscriptions on them. And so this wasn't that uncommon. There was one uh, stone or set of stones that had been found, um, I think in Iran, where uh, something to the tune of, of five times the length of Deuteronomy had been written out. So they just, they were far more accustomed to this. And personally, I think that they wrote the totality of the law on these stones here on Mount Ebal. But this is what they're told to do. But then there are some more instructions to come. Verse 9, I'm still back in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Verse 9, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And that day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. He just rattled off six of the twelve tribes. Again, we've said this a few times, there are 13 tribes technically, but one of them is the Levites, and they're kind of separate and, and set apart. They've got a special function. So we just rattle off six of the tribes. And then verse 13, these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Those are the other six tribes. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, 
And then in verse 15, we have the beginning of this whole kind of scripted call and response thing. We don't do much call and response. We don't really do any call and response. But in a lot of church traditions, that's still a real big deal. Call and response, where somebody, a reader, preacher, some sort of a, a scripture reader maybe, calls out something and the congregation responds. This is kind of where this idea comes from. It's a call and response. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So you see what's happening here. What's amazing is, again, when archaeologists and, uh, have gone back and, and looked at these areas, the Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim are real close to each other and sort of form one of those natural amphitheaters so that sound travels very, very well in there. And so the idea is you've got these Levites maybe down in the middle between them calling out these things. And then those who are standing on Mount Ebal who are supposed to respond to these curses say, Amen. What's happening is they're all participating in this shared restating, this shared renewal of a number of principles here that all go back to the Mosaic Law. Now that first one ought to sound extremely familiar. This first one harkens right to the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? About making images of God. It goes on. Verse 16, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Some of these sound so peculiar to us. Cursed be the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. What? Well, it'd be like a boundary stone at the edge of a piece of property. In other words, don't move that and try to steal some of your neighbor's property is what would be happening. That part of what happens in Deuteronomy is so brilliant because uh, it, what, when they first get the law, they get a law that is more suited for people who are kind of nomadic because they're traveling. But in Deuteronomy, it shifts some, and these laws are tailored now for people who are going to be settled in a place. So this is one of those examples. You know, this idea of moving a boundary stone. That wouldn't have been a deal where, where a big deal where you set up a camp every night and then you strike camp and move to a new place the next night. Nobody was setting up boundary stones. But now, they would be. It's like God has thought of everything here. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. Isn't that interesting? And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. 
Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. And then verse 28, or chapter 28, shifts into a blessing, a form of which we've seen so many times throughout the Old Testament. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. I love that. You know, to overtake something is, is you know, if you're involved in a chase, say, you're out in front and, and someone is trying to overtake you. They're trying to catch up with you from behind. I, I love that this is sort of turned on its head and used very picturesquely. Picturesquely? <laughs> Now, let's just go with it. In a picturesque way, is that better? <laughs> to show these blessings overtaking you. In other words, you won't even be able to escape the blessings that are coming your way. You'll be so blessed, right? And we see this. So this is where this comes from. This is the genesis of this idea. This is why back to Joshua, if you want to turn back to Joshua 8. This is why at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded in an iron tool. And it says here, and this was in the instructions too, they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and they sacrificed peace offerings. We won't take the time this morning to go back to the book of Leviticus and look at all these offerings, but I, I love the two offerings that they're commanded to give. One of them is the burnt offering. It's the first offering that's laid out in the book of Levit Leviticus. And the burnt offering is just flat out a praise and worship offering. It is an offering in which the entire animal was put on the altar and burnt to make this pleasing aroma to the Lord. It was all about praise. It was all about worship. It was all about recognition of God. And then the peace offering, or oftentimes referred to as the fellowship offering, is the third of the offerings that's laid out in the book of Leviticus. And it was an offering, this is fascinating too, it was, it was meant to call out and to sort of highlight and to celebrate the peace that the people had with God, the fellowship that the people had with God. And, and I love part of what happens when you really dig into it, the peace offering is the only offering from which the, 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 the person making the sacrifice is allowed to eat any of the meat. They got to eat some of the meat, but then certain portions of the animal were offered up to God. It was this really beautiful picture to celebrate the fellowship and the peace they had with God. They were almost literally sort of sharing this meal with God. Isn't that beautiful? And this is what they do. These are the two offerings that they're called to present. And they do that for, I mean, how long? I, I don't know. Because these were all offerings that individuals and, and families would have brought. This may have gone on for a long time. But they're celebrating. They're rejoicing. They're praising God. They're thanking God for what he has done. They stop and they do this thing. And then, verse 32, 
there in the presence of the people of Israel. And here again, I just it, it's maybe not explicit, but I want to pretty strongly suggest, despite some people who would disagree, this is all of the nation of Israel. This isn't just some representatives or, or the lead. This is everybody here, all of them. In the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. In other words, he's taking these stones that have been plastered, writing, again, I believe, the entirety of the Mosaic law on them and setting them up in this spot that is physically, geographically right in the middle of their new home. You see what's going on here? And all Israel, verse 33, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. This is just those instructions. And this was, we're not told here, but we learned back from Deuteronomy, it wasn't just sort of haphazardly, it was by tribe. That term before or on, or it's you know, hard ancient language, but, but picture them sort of being on, covering the whole mountainside of these two shallow, you know, low mountains. Not something that looked like Mount Rainier, perhaps, but two of these hills just covering the sides with the Levites down in the middle in this valley down below. And the Levites are now going to talk. They did this just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first, to bless the people of Israel. Verse 34, and afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. That, you know, what we mostly saw in that scripted section in Deuteronomy is curses, right? But there, there are blessings that are there too. But the other thing that's going on here, the blessing and the curse is sort of code for the law. Sometimes the law, the Mosaic law, is referred to as the blessing and the curse. Why? Because there are inherent in it all of these blessings and curses. Blessings being, if you follow me and do what I say, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, you're going to be cursed, right? And so they read the law in the presence of all the people. Verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded. Here again. You can disagree with me if you want, and, and we can still stay friends. But I, I don't think this is just the Ten Commandments. I don't think it would be called out in this manner. If it was only the Ten Commandments, you know, we'd say they read the entire thing, and we'd say, so what? I mean, that didn't take that long. But he says, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. What they do here is so beautiful, it's so significant, it's so symbolic in a lot of ways. Again, just the fact that they're taking this moment to set up the law on these stones right at the place that's kind of in the middle of the land, the middle of their new home, this promised land that they're moving into. 
the fact that they break from their military campaign to do this. This, again, a military strategist would look at this and say, don't do that. Do that later. Come on. You got a good momentum going on here. Keep it going. I mean, don't, don't give them, you got them on the ropes, right? But they stop to do this thing because it's important. Many of you probably have a heading before this little section This says the renewal of the covenant. They're renewing this covenant. And as they do that, there are a couple different things that are going on. The first thing is really plain and obvious. They're all standing there listening, maybe sitting. It doesn't say necessarily, but they're listening to the words of this law. Everything that Moses had commanded they're all hearing it again. But the other thing is they're participating in this, see. I mean, you'll notice that half of the tribes were on Mount Ebal, and half of the tribes were on Mount Gerizim, just sort of directly across this ravine, this valley. And when there are curses, those on the one side say, Amen. And when there are blessings, those on the other side say, Amen. It's this massive group participatory event whereby they are all saying, Yes, we agree to this. We've said before, Amen is is sort of a, a, a word that most literally means, So be it. I mean, it's this almost a verbal contract into which they're entering here but it's a verbal contract into which they had previously entered, which is why we say they're renewing the covenant. It's not necessarily a new covenant for them, but they are renewing it. They are renewing their participation in it. They take this time to just stop and say, yes, we are going to write these words on stones and put them right here. And then we're going to read it aloud. We're all going to do it together. And we are all going to say throughout this, amen, yes, amen, yes, yes, yes. I love this. I love this picture, this scene of them stopping right as they're really getting going in a great military campaign. And they just stop and they say, we've got something to do. We're going to take this trip. It's about 30 miles. It's going to take a couple of days. But some of you remember, we were commanded to do this and we're going to do this. It's going to take some time, but it's going to be joyous. We're going to rejoice these offerings that we offer up, they're going to be an opportunity to praise our God, to rejoice in what he's done for us, to rejoice in, in who he is and in his nature, to rejoice in the peace and the fellowship that we have in him. It's going to be so beautiful. And then we're going to read these words. We're going to write them out. We're going to set them up in this spot. And we're going to read them out loud. And we're all going to participate in this. We are all going to remind ourselves of whose we are, of why we're here, of of the fact that we are called to obey his commandments. We are all going to renew this 
subscription. (laughs) We're going to renew this thing. It was important. It was important for them. I want to suggest that there's something that might be important here for us too. (laughs) Not just might. I remind us again, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for us. It's profitable for us. And I think there's a model here that is instructive for you and I. Now, there are a number of things that have changed. Uh, For one, God in our current age doesn't, remember, God had a, a covenant with a nation. He's dealing with Israel as a nation. God now in our current age, in our current dispensation, he's, he's not dealing with us as a nation. He's dealing with us as an individual. Dealing with you as an individual. We've been told in the New Testament we're no longer under this law, you know, with, with specific regard to the Mosaic law. We don't have to live under that anymore. Things like circumcision and rules and regulations about diets and high holy days and some of these really specific things, we're not under that anymore. So a number of these things have changed. But I think we'd make a mistake to let all of this application just go because some of those things have changed. I think for you and I, we can learn something from this renewal of this covenant. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago, again, about what our church is passionate about, and that a large part of that is the passion we have for God's Word. This, is, this stands alone from anything that we have. God's Word commands us to, to just devote time to the public reading of it to devote time and energy to the teaching and the preaching of it. That is the, 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 the centerpiece of everything that we do. But part of what's happening here at the end of Joshua chapter 8 is not just a teaching, it's not just a, a hearing, it's not just a public reading. Again, it's very participatory. And it might not seem that way on the face of it, but again, in their culture, to stand and to hear this and to respond, this call and response model is very much every person was there to be a signatory yet again to this covenant, to sort of say, yeah, we're re-upping. And I think that's important for us. I think that's important for us. I've said like a broken record so many times that if the only dose of God's word you get is just here on Sundays, it's not enough for you. I mean, you're missing out. You're really missing out. And again, I suggested a couple weeks ago there's something very special that happens when we come together, just like there's something so much more special when I sit down to a full table of loved ones and we all eat together versus when I eat a ham and cheese sandwich by myself. I mean, you know, I get nutrition both ways, but one is really special. This is important what we do together, but it shouldn't be the only nutrition you get all week. 
But just hearing it, just reciting it, just knowing it, just reading it, just studying it, that's not enough either. As it turns out, I wonder if a lot of us could get an awful lot better at renewing a covenant with God. Yeah? By which I just say again, God, I want to devote myself not simply to reading this and studying it and and knowing it well. I want to devote myself yet again to doing it, to obeying it. Because so much of what they're doing on Mount Ebal, on Mount Gerizim, they're recommitting themselves to actually following this law. The reason they're reading those blessings and those curses and people are saying amen is they're all agreeing with God in saying, yes, as it turns out, we're actually called to do what this stuff says. To not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I think it might be worth pointing out too that passage in Deuteronomy 27 that we went back to together it's not that long before this remember it's really shortly before they cross into this promised land in other words this wasn't a thing that the people did and and there was a whole generation that died off in the wilderness but even this generation it's not this thing that we did once and now we're good they get not too terribly long after right in the middle of their their military campaign and they say you know what we did do this thing let's do it again it's time to renew this covenant Now, I don't know if there were maybe some people that said, ah, we just did that. I mean, it was, how long ago was it? You know, a month, two months, I don't know. We just, do we have to do it again? (laughs) Yes, they had to do it again. And there are lots of things built into the law where this happened frequently. And I think for us, this ought to happen frequently. Not just the reading of God's word, not just the hearing of God's word, not just the proclaiming of God's word, but maybe of a renewal of our covenant with God. And we say, you know what, God? I recognize this as your law for me. I recognize again. I'm going to come back again and renew this covenant. Maybe I need to confess to you some areas of my life in which I I just know I'm not doing it. We talked about the seriousness of sin a while back, you know, just taking it seriously and saying, God, I've, I've done it again. And thank God he is gracious. He is ready to forgive whenever we confess those sins. But to come back again and say, you know what? I don't know how many times I've read this one, this passage that I'm reading, but I recognize yet again that I've goofed up again. God, 
I want to recommit myself. I want to renew this covenant and recommit myself, not just to hearing it and reading it, but to doing it. To recognize that that's not just an important book, it's an authority over me. I'm to be subject to it because its words are your very words and you're my God. And I want to recommit myself. I want to renew this covenant. And I wonder if there's something even in our culture, as I mentioned before, you know, so many of the things that we renew, subscriptions and uh, utility payments often, you know, there's so many of these things, they're, they're automatic, I don't even need to think about them. I click a box at some point that says, automatically renew me. Or I forget to click the box that says, don't automatically renew me, let me do, you know. And so it just happens in the background. I don't even need to think about it. And I wonder if when it comes to our commitment to God's word, our commitment not just to having it and to knowing it, but our commitment to obeying it ought to be something a little bit more like a driver's license or tabs on the back of my car where every now and then I just need to stop and say, God, I want to recommit myself. I want to, again, just affirm the authority that you are over me, the authority your word is over me. The fact that, as it turns out, I'm called to do what this says. I'm going to recommit. I'm going to renew this covenant. I think there's room in us for that. In our society that is so just fast where you might be sitting here today thinking I feel like we were just I can't believe how fast this past week went I know the calendar says there are seven days on the week I feel like there must be more like three but to stop to maybe observe even literally some silence and to spend time considering not simply the importance of this word, but its authority in your life about recommitting yourself to the covenant of being obedient to God. And especially because God isn't dealing with us as an entire nation. He's dealing with you as an individual. And so you can't let this just happen in our church collectively. This is for you to, now we do this corporately too, but I think at a certain point, it's up to you to pump the brakes and to say, God, I need to, not just we need to, but I need to renew my dedication to this covenant I have with you. Yeah, let's pray. Our Father God, we again thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how powerful a thing that is. That you have spoken, breathed out your word for us. How blessed we are because of that, God. But Father, sometimes we treat it more flippantly than we should. That's just the honest truth. 
sometimes we don't hold it with enough gravity. We don't recognize its authority, indeed your authority in our lives. And God, as we gather here today, we want to corporately redevote ourselves to this word. Not because none of us have been, but because it's good to do this. We see in this pattern, in this model, that it's good to just stop and not only to, to read it and hear it and listen to it, but to really be committed to heeding what it says, to saying back to you, amen, God, you're right, you're right, and I'm going to get back on your plan. But God, even as we do that corporately, even as we do that as a, a family of brothers and sisters who are yours, God, we pray that we would be a people who would do this individually too. That I wouldn't rely on the group doing it, on the collective doing it, that I would recognize that I am culpable for the commandments in your word. That I have been called to live a certain way. And that sometimes it's just good for me to stop and to reaffirm that and to realign myself to your word, to your commands, to your instructions for me and my life. And I pray that we would all be in the business of doing that. And friends, I know that sometimes silence in our culture just feels uncomfortable, but I just want to have some silence now and let you and encourage you to go before your God and to renew your covenant with him, to renew your faithfulness to his word, your obedience to his word, your following his commandments. Father God, we worship you. We adore you. We're in awe of you. Father, I thank you for the fellowship and the peace that we have in you through our Lord Jesus Christ. May his name be praised. And God, as is so often our prayer, if there is anyone with us today that doesn't know you personally, that doesn't know Jesus as their own personal Lord and Savior, not the Savior of their church, not the Savior of their family, not the Savior of their community, but the Savior of them personally and of their heart and soul. That today would be the day that they would hear your loving, gracious call to be adopted as their child, your child. To receive salvation based purely on what the Lord Jesus Christ did. God, for all of us, convict us, move in us, help us to know where we need to 
kind of figuratively stand on these hillsides of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and say, amen, God. We're here committing ourselves to you again. We're going to continue to come back to this again and again and again because we need this reminder. Thank you, God. We love you. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.